Well, good morning, Mercy House. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Sweet snowstorm we had yesterday, huh? That was pretty awesome. Well, we're glad you're all with us this morning. My name is Tommy Moore. I'm the director of teaching and ministry here at Mercy House. If this is your first time being here or first time back in a while, we're super glad that you're here with us. We want to uh, just say Merry Christmas to you. We're glad that you are here worshiping with us uh, during Advent. So welcome. Well, here we are. We're, we're at the final psalm in the Songs of Ascents, and we began in Psalm 120, and we've made it these past 14 weeks. And I know that I have recapped what the Songs of Ascents are several times now, but I think, you know, as I've thought about it, as we've really studied it really closely over these past few months, here's what I would say about the Songs of Ascents. That the Songs of Ascents are a collection of songs which helped Israel as a community of God's people to unite together, to persevere through hardship, to hope in God's care for them, to be encouraged in their identity as God's people, and to trust in God, their Father, to bring them home to Jerusalem. Every single time they sang these songs, this is what it meant for them. Jerusalem meant so much more to them than just being their capital city. So don't get me wrong, I love going to Boston just as much as any other Boston-born, bred, Beantown boy. Like, this is my home. I love grabbing food at Faneuil Hall. I love ice skating on Frog Pond. I, I love catching a Sox game at Fenway. I love walking the Freedom, Freedom Trail and riding on the overpriced duck boats and getting chowed up by the Haba. Like, this is how I grew up. I love Boston. But the people of Israel weren't making these pilgrimages back to Jerusalem to experience some tourist attractions. And for them, it was a homecoming. It was an opportunity for them to experience unity with God at the temple, unity with one another in worship that they would not be able to experience anywhere else in the world. So sure, for them, it was culturally home. But Jerusalem was more importantly a home for their hearts and for their souls. And as we've worked through these songs this semester, the primary question we've been asking that still stands for us today is, where is our home? Where do we find our peace and our shalom? Where, where do we find a community for, for our hearts and, and comfort for our souls? Where do we find it as a church? But then where do we find it as individuals? Mercy House, if we finish the sermon series on the long road home and can't answer that, then we have failed to understand the purpose of these psalms. And if we can't understand why Jerusalem was such a big deal to Israel and the role that it plays in communicating what the kingdom of God means to us as followers of Christ today, then we don't understand these songs of a sense. And so I want to walk away today feeling like we, we have a grasp on these collections of psalms. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick stroll through all of them together. Briefly, don't worry, we'll get you out by lunch. I hope that this blesses you as much as it's blessed me to review really the, the depths and the riches of these psalms. And so for each psalm, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pull out what I think is kind of the central verse of that psalm, and I'm going to re-articulate the core truth that, that we've unpacked through this semester. So we're going to start with Psalm 120. These are going to be on uh, your screen, but you can, of course, flip through them in your Bible. Psalm 120, I'm going to read Psalm, uh, psalm 120 verses 1 and 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. We start off the songs of ascents with this psalm, which sets the tone for Israel's relationship with God. And for those of us who are hearing lies from those around us, or even from within ourselves, we know that in our distress, 
We can call out to God who hears and who responds and, and whose words that we find in Scripture are the unshakable foundational truths that remind us of who we really are. Psalm 121, verses 7 through 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The dangers and trials awaited the Israelites. What gave them confidence was reflecting on the constant, the, the consistent, the capable, the comforting, the calming, the comprehensive nature of God's protection over them. And God has demonstrated the same protection over us who are in Christ, that no matter what we face on this long road home, whether it threatens our emotional health or our physical lives or even our spiritual well-being, God commands complete protection over his children at all times, from this time forth and forevermore through eternity. Psalm 122, verses 3 through 4, Jerusalem built as a city that was bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. In Psalm 122, we begin seeing the fellowship of God's people, that as a city, God's people are brought together to experience peace and rest. But even if a community of believers is struggling to experience the peace and rest of God together, even as we as individuals have no peace or, or any rest in any area of our lives, we're learning that the peace of God alone is enough for us. For in Christ we are bound firmly together in perfect peace and perfect unity with Him. There's no greater shalom than the shalom that we have in our relationship with Jesus. Psalm 123, verses 3 through 4. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. When we in our lives experience the destructive contempt of others in our lives, when others speak to tear us down, to belittle us, to crush us with painful words, when we're caught in the prison of ongoing contempt and made to think and maybe even begin believing that we are worthless scum, that we are useless, that we are insignificant, we hear the voice of our Father who sits enthroned in heaven, having mercy upon us and telling us that we are loved that we are cherished, that we are delighted in by God, and that we are worth giving up his life for in order to rescue and redeem us back to himself. Psalm 124, blessed be the Lord, this is verses 6 and 7, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped in Psalm 124, we see Israel's sober understanding that had it not been for God who was on their side, they would have been wiped clean off the map. And for us today, it's not just our physical lives that are under the sovereign guardianship and protection of God, but our spiritual lives as well. And one of the most clear images of, of this is our freedom from slavery, freedom from slavery to sin and death. And that like a bird that is caught in a trap that's waiting for its inevitable death and then being freed, we too have experienced freedom from the snare of death in our sin. So if you're a Christian, what you need to hear in this psalm, what you need to realize is that you have nothing to fear. And when we experience freedom from the snare of sin and death and escape from the worst possible scenario, the, the, the most terrible outcome of eternal death and separation from God, the trials and tribulations of this world aren't even worth comparing. 
We've got a lot of these. So I'm going to move a little bit faster. Psalm 125, verses 1 through 2. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Those who actively trust in the Lord and build their life upon the rock that is Jesus Christ are secure like a mountain that cannot be moved, that can weather any storm that life brings. Psalm 126, verses 1 through 3. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. For those who want to know the secret to happiness, it's not found in earthly pursuits or worldly delights. We see biblically that the greatest joy that we can have in life, the fullest and truest joy that we can experience is found in being in the presence of God and experiencing right relationship and fellowship with him. Psalm 127, verses 1 through 2, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Translation, God is in sovereign control, orchestrating and establishing everything. Psalm 128, verses 1 through 2, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. God blesses those who live in rightful reverence and obedience to him. Psalm 129, verses 1 through 2, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Yet they have not prevailed against me. Our momentary afflictions on this long road home are not the end of us. God uses these afflictions and trials to grow us, to mature us, and to sanctify us. Psalm 130, verses 3 through 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. In our flesh, we are condemned in our sinfulness, but in Christ, we are completely forgiven and experience steadfast love and plentiful redemption. Psalm 131, verses 1 through 2. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. When we can humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, we can experience the peace of a child being taken care of by a loving parent. Psalm 132, verses 13 through 14, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. We can rest in God's promise that he will dwell in fellowship with us as his people forever. In verse, uh, sorry, Psalm 133, verse 1, this is from last week. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Those of us who are Christians have perfect unity with God, and we get to experience soul-nourishing, refreshing unity together as a family. Cherish these psalms, Mercy House. Return to them often, specifically when the long road to our heavenly home 
is feeling especially exhausting and tiring. When, when we feel weary and afraid, full of anxiety, or even struggling in the depths of doubt and in despair, dig into these truths that will bring you life and freedom. And these psalms served Israel very well. They sustained generations of a nation in the community, and they did their job of reminding Israel who God is when Israel forgot, and how they related to Israel, and how God related to Israel in every single experience of life. And so here we are in Psalm 134. That was probably the longest sermon intro you'll ever hear. And the last psalm here is short and sweet, and it centers around this idea of blessing, which is mentioned in each of these three verses. And the first thing to know is the structure of the song. And many commentators speculate that, that this is a call and a response, and that it's actually between the traveling pilgrims, those who have come to Jerusalem and are leaving, and those who are servants of the temple. And so the image, as Charles Spurgeon actually paints it, he, he talks about this being the pilgrims departing from Jerusalem early in the morning and calling out to the priests and the Levites uh, with verse 1 and 2, and then the priests' response in verse 3 to the travelers. So let's jump in in verses 1 and 2. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. The pilgrims are encouraging the priests and Levites to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. We see this phrase often in Scripture. I, I think it could still be a little bit confusing to understand. Like, what does it mean to bless the Lord? Oh, what, what does God not have that we can bless Him with? The idea of blessing God that we see in the Bible means to acknowledge how great He is to Him. To let God know how valuable and awesome He is. This really is what it always means to bless somebody else. So I'm not going to lie, I love Christmas, um, and a, one of the reasons why I love Christmas is because of the gifts. And sure, I, I love receiving gifts, who doesn't, but I thoroughly enjoy, I think even more, the giving of gifts. I love brainstorming and thinking about what a good gift would be for somebody, and I don't always get this right, but I love trying to communicate to someone that I know, that, that I care for them. Uh, that, that they are worth the effort and the resources that went into that gift that I'm trying to give to them. This is what it means to bless somebody. What we're doing leading up to Christmas is as we're buying books and as we're knitting scarves, as we're making coupons for chores, is what we're trying to let the person know by giving them this gift is, is that we love them, that we know them, and that they're worth it that they are valuable to us, that our relationship is worth something, and that the gift that I wrapped and am presenting to that person, it's meant to communicate to them that, that you mean a lot to me. You mean so much that I want to give you this gift. And some of you might be like, wait, what, that's what's going on when I give someone a gift? Yeah, that, that's what's happening. And there's still time, right? <laughs> Christmas is a week away. Think about who you're giving a gift to and how you can bless them, how you can let them know that they are valued by you and worth it to you to give them this gift. I think we know this intuitively, most of us at least, that depending on who you're giving the gift to, that gift changes based on who that person is. A couple of weeks ago, a bunch of campus ministry leaders gathered here at Mercy House for a Yankee swap. And Alden, uh, who lives with me, uh, was, was leaving the house with a pack of seltzer under his arm. And I was like, hey, are you sharing that at the party? He's like, no, this is my Yankee swap gift. 
And then we proceeded to have like a legitimate argument about uh, how this was a terrible gift. And Alden was convinced, though, that like this was the vibe. That's what he said. Whatever, like he could live his life, like whatever. But <laughs> here's my point. Here's my point. In six days, as we celebrate Christmas, if he slides over an unwrapped case of a black cherry seltzer to his girlfriend, Megan, right? Like, to use his own words, like, that's not going to be the vibe, right? <laughs> and now, I know Alden would never do this, right, Alden? Like, he would never do this. Um, my point is, is that the blessing that we give has to match the value of the recipient to us, right? Like, that's what it means to give a gift to somebody. And so the question then, as we turn our attention back to God, is what blessing matches the value of God? As surely a pack of seltzer isn't appropriate as a gift to, to truly bless God. So what could we possibly bless God with? The only thing that we can bless God with is the praise of our lips and the posture of our hearts. Let me say that again. The only thing that we can truly bless God with is the praise of our lips and the posture of our hearts. If you look at all, if you took all the money in the world and, and you somehow engineered like the most incredible, the most valuable gift that this world could, could practically construct and you offered it up to God, it would still be like sliding a, a pack of seltzer across the table to God. Like nothing is comparable to the infinite worth and the infinite value of God. The only thing that we can bless God with is the praise of our lips and the posture of our hearts. There is nothing that my two daughters can give to me that would compensate me adequately for being their father, right? But when they tell me that they love me and they mean that from their hearts, like I treasure that more than any physical gift that they could ever give to me. The most pure blessing we can give to God is, is not our money, it's not our time, it's not our talents. It's declaring with our mouths a reality that we believe inside of our hearts that God is supremely valuable, that there is nothing and nobody greater than he is, that there's nothing that we'd want more of, there's nothing that we'd rather have, there's nothing more precious to us than the God of heaven and earth. This is what it means to bless God, to praise him, and to worship him. Well, how ought we worship him? Two things that we see in these verses are one, all the time, and two, with our whole being. All the time and with our whole being. We're seeing in verse one that the pilgrims are encouraging the priest to bless God, to worship him, and to keep on doing it. Look at verse one. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. The priests and the Levites took their duties of worship seriously. They didn't just come on Sundays from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. in the morning. What we see in 1 Chronicles 9 is that this, this was every day, all day. 1 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 27, And they, this is the Levites, lodged around the house of God, for on them lay the duty of watching, and they had charge of opening it every morning. And then you jump down to verse 33. Now these, the singers, the heads of fathers' houses of the Levites, were in the chambers of the temple, free from other service, for they were on duty day and night. It's quite the worship team right there. If you were to ask a Levite, how often should we be worshiping God? They would undoubtedly respond all the time, <laughs> night and day. 
And as if in complete agreement, we see the Israelite pilgrim leaving early in the morning in in verse 1, encouraging them to, hey, continue doing what you're doing, brother. Keep worshiping the Lord. See, the mature follower of Christ sees that God is worthy of worship and praise all the time. Not when it's convenient, not when it's culturally appropriate, not when you have a little bit of extra time, not when it's church time as opposed to your personal time, all the time. If we don't agree with this or we don't live this out, then it's because we really don't comprehend the the value and the worth of God. We don't see him as infinitely glorious and infinitely worthy of around-the-clock worship and praise. But the reality is is that he is worthy of that. God's glory demands our response of worship. Like the sun causes us to intuitively and reflexively block our eyes when we see the brightness of the sun. God's glory demands response in worship like gravity demands that we like fall to our knees when we don't have enough strength to bear up against it. And God's glory demands our response of worship like seeing the most beautiful, incredible sunset in the world and how it just naturally pulls the words out of our mouth and we say, wow, wow. Unlike a sunset which ends, the glory of God radiates around the clock giving us opportunities day and night to respond and praise and worship to him. And some of us need to grow in this, myself included. I think some practical things to think about is the next time we're commuting to to try to listen to some worship music instead of that cool, funny podcast that you need to catch up on. The next time we're up early in the morning spending time in his word, praising and worshiping him. The next time you're up in the middle of the night not able to sleep, praying prayers of praise and worship to God instead of watching that show. And again, I'm speaking to myself here. It's not always intuitive to praise God around the clock, but like the pilgrim encourages the priests and the Levites, so let us encourage one another. Keep blessing the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. Not only are we seeing that we ought to worship the Lord all the time, but we're seeing that we ought to do it with our entire being. Verse 2, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. If you've been in a church before, you might notice that during the music, there are people who raise their arms, they, they lift their hands. You might see different iterations of it. It's a bit of a joke in the church. Like, there are those who do, like, a little lift like this, then you've got, like, the spread outside, and then you've got, like, you know, like, the full raise. You've got people on their knees. Like, it's kind of a joke, like, hey, where are you on this spectrum? But whatever degree of hand-raising there is, the the posture of lifting up our hands in worship is communicating surrender. It's almost a universal sign that communicates that we are unarmed, that our defenses are not up right now, that that we submit ourselves as as representative of, of, of even our lower posture to a God who is greater and who is higher and who is more powerful and more glorious. And the raising of hands in worship is an act of humility, which matches the praise of our lips and and the posturing of our hearts with the posturing of our very own bodies. So whether you decide to lift your hands in worship um, or or not is irrelevant, because in reality, God only cares about what is in your heart. It's possible to raise your hands in worship and not be in a place of complete, humble worship. And it's also possible to keep your hands in your pockets and sing praises from a place of of absolute humility and absolute surrender to God. 
But this is what the verse is speaking to. It's encouraging the priests and the Levites who worship to do so with their entire being, with their lips as they sing, with their hearts as they humble themselves before God, and even with their bodies as they surrender to God in worship and praise. Mercy House, that's it. The final psalm of the Songs of Ascents is beautifully simple. It's a reminder that we ought to worship and praise God as a response to who God is and what He has done. And and that when we realize just how glorious and valuable He is, as we realize that He is worthy of worship and praise all the time, that we then do that with all of our being. The simplicity of this psalm is really the simplicity of the gospel. And as we we prepare ourselves this week for the birth of Jesus, we don't need to overcomplicate what this week is about. It's not about getting our Christmas cards out in time. It's not about hanging up Christmas lights or getting our tree decorated. It's, it's not about baking cookies or watching Elf or giving each other presents. It's not even about fulfilling all of these rituals and traditions. The purpose of Christmas is to bless the Lord. It's His birthday. To praise Him and to worship Him all the time with all of who we are. As the pilgrims packed up their gear and, and set off on the long journeys back home, they rose up early in the morning and they, and they waved to the priests and the Levites one last time and encouraged them to continue praising and worshiping God. And you can imagine that this experience was very mixed for them. And yes, they, they got to experience the shalom of God and, and unity with their brothers and sisters. They, they got to feel at home in almost every sense of the word when they were in Jerusalem, yet here they were, packing up to leave, unsure of when they'd be able to come back, uncertain of what awaited them on the road. And nevertheless, they're met with a word from the priests and the Levites. And so follow along with me as I read this final verse for this morning. Psalm 134, verse 3. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. This whole time we've been talking about how we ought to be blessing God And what we're seeing here is a blessing from him. It's a sweet moment that we need to cherish together. See, the Lord responds to our gift of blessing, of praise, and of worship with a blessing. And this is totally unwarranted. It's undeserved. It's like going to someone's birthday party and giving them a gift and them saying, actually, I have a gift for you. Has anyone ever been to a party like that? And I'm, ta- I'm not talking about like a gift bag, a goodie bag at the end. I'm talking about like a real gift that someone says, you know what, I've thought about you on my birthday. I want to give you this. That would be like the best birthday that you've ever been to. God's blessing of the Israelite pilgrim is not empty or insignificant. It's not like saying, bless you when you sneeze. The blessing that God gives the pilgrim who is leaving Jerusalem, is the promise that one day God's total and complete blessing would rest on his people. That one day we would be able to receive a gift from God and be blessed by it. And and that through that gift we'd, we'd be able to see, that we'd be able to feel and understand our worth and our value to God. Mercy House, as we approach Christmas We are singing songs of worship and praise to God. We're doing it all day and all night with all of our being. But don't forget that as you bring your gift of worship to Jesus on his birthday, he does the unthinkable. Christ turns and gives you the greatest gift that you have and ever will receive. 
in Christ, we receive the full blessing as promised by the Father in heaven in this final verse of Psalm 134. Well, what is the gift? The gift of the gospel. The gift of the forgiveness of our sins. The gift of eternal life. The gift of restored relationship with him. The the gift of perfect protection for eternity. The gift of peace, true shalom. The gift of joy, the gift of love. The gift that communicates our incredible worth and our incredible value to God who made heaven and earth and everything in it. The gift that that says that we are treasured, that, that we are adored, that we are delighted in. The gift of unity with him. The gift of unity together as a family. What is this gift? The gift is Christ himself, Mercy House. The Savior, Messiah, Redeemer, in the flesh as a baby who would grow to offer his life as a sacrifice to save ours. Mercy House, I don't care what's under your tree next week. Everything is is an empty can of seltzer compared to the immeasurable riches of Christ and what he has done in giving all of himself to us. If you're not a Christian, Christmas comes early for you this morning. God is offering you this gift of life and peace. And like all gifts that you've ever received, all you need to do is reach out and to receive that and to take that as your own and enjoy it and cherish in it. And you do this by believing that Christ has died for you and that he wants a relationship with you. And so receive his grace by faith. If you want to unwrap this gift, we encourage you, come talk with us. We're going to be in the back. We'd love to pray for you, answer any questions. After the service, I'm going to be right on this step here. Come talk to me. I'd love to answer any questions and help you unwrap that gift this morning. If you're here this morning and you are a Christian, the application really is just to worship and praise God for who He is. Enjoy Him. Delight in Him. Not in the shiny gifts that sit under your tree, which which are going to rust and grow old and get boring by next week. So let us sing these last couple of songs of praise with our lips, with a posture of of surrender in our hearts and, and, and in our bodies as well. And then let's go, continuing to bless Him all the time with all of who we are because God deserves it. And as you've experienced the blessing of the gospel, then re-gift it. Re-gift it. Turn and extend the same blessing of the gospel to your family members as you see them over the next week, to your neighbors, to your coworkers. And remember that God's blessing is a blessing. It's not contingent upon what you can offer to Him. It's not relative to what you can offer to Him. All that we have to offer are just cans of seltzer. Yet God in his abundant mercy and love, has blessed us with the invaluable gift of Christ. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Communion represents for us the gift of Christ pouring himself out for us. It reminds us of the cost of the blessing that we receive, but also our worth to him as well. And so as you take communion this morning, receive the blessing and respond with blessing. Verse 3, I'm going to read it one more time to you. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth.
Let's pray. Father, you are an amazing gift giver. You're the, you're the best there ever was. You're the best there ever will be. God, we confess that all we have to offer is just empty cans, God. There's nothing that we can give to you physically that would communicate your value and your worth. So, Lord, what we have, we do give to you, which is our hearts and the praise of our lips and communicating these truths that are so much bigger than us, but that we acknowledge and believe in our hearts, God. Lord, I pray that as we lead up into Christmas, as songs play on the radio, as, as, as we think about your birth, God, that this season would be full of us doing what we can to bless you. And Father, we're thankful that ultimately you turn around and you bless us. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of your son. Thank you that his life and his death and his resurrection is a gift to us to communicate how much you love us and how much you want a relationship with us. And so, Lord, help us this morning as we take communion to respond to you and your blessing. God, I pray that this season would be marked with worship and praise of you because you deserve it, Father. We love you and we thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.